Welcome to Brazen Education with Educator Barnes, a podcast with a focus on speaking your truth, being transparent to help others, and having no shame about it. Because we can't move forward until the truth is known. Well, welcome back to another episode of Brazen Education. Um, we are talking about sex education again, and this is part three. And my wonderful guest I have today is a teacher, Allie McDillon, and she actually teaches anatomy. So, Allie, welcome to the show. Thank you. And could you tell us a little bit about uh, what you teach? Uh, because I know you may not just teach anatomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what um, courses do you teach? And what made you decide like anatomy was one of the courses that you wanted to teach? Yeah, so um, I'm a trained chemist. So I actually got into education um, through the Woodrow Wilson Teaching Fellowship, like a um, transition to teaching, uh, to teach chemistry. So I just finished my 10th year teaching, which has been a, been a rough year, but I, I made it, I made it. Um, so I'm a trained chemistry teacher, um, but I'm licensed in chemistry, um, physics and life science. So I can teach pretty much everything. And I have taught pretty much everything. I started at a small rural school um, where you just have to wear a lot of hats. So I taught chemistry, physics, eighth grade science, zoology, anatomy, um, science research, eight by everything. (laughs) Um, And then now my current school, they try not to give you more than two classes at a time. So here I've taught chemistry and earth science. One year I taught chemistry and ICP. And then the past two years I've taught chemistry and anatomy. Um, And that was more of a, um, like I was given the option to continue teaching um, integrated chemistry and physics, which is like a introductory to both chemistry and physics or to switch to anatomy because they needed someone. Um, And I was the only one with a life science uh, license that was open. And I was like, sure, I'll teach that. And it's um, juniors. So, and that's always fun getting to teach higher um, or upper level kids. So I was like, sure. Yeah, let's do it. So for our viewers, I think it's important for them to know to be able to teach uh, anatomy, you have to have Mm -hmm. a life science background. Yes. Yep. And so for this particular episode, I call it a scientific approach because Mm -hmm. we I've talked about this um, twice. So my first episode, actually first two episodes, let's start out 2022, kicking the door in. (laughs) Uh, I met with two uh, wonderful uh, ladies. uh, Ashley and um, Dr. Tiku, they talked about different uh, approaches um, to sex education. Mm-hmm. And then my second um, guest, um, he talked about um, the abstinence and marriage viewpoint. Um, mm-hmm. And I had feedback from both episodes, both positive and both like, I don't, I don't like that. Um, mm-hmm. And what was interesting about this is, um, I guess a couple months ago, I, um, on my Educator Barnes page, uh, posted um, an article uh, from WFYI. Um, If you're not an indie, um, it's PBS, but it's like the local um, indie. And the article was called uh, Indiana Sex Educators Confront Online Attacks, Nervous Schools. And this was May 18th of 2022. And the reason this caught my eye was, A, is talking about sex education. And that was something I covered when I started off this season this year. But when I was looking through the um, article, I saw Ashley Robertson and she was on my first episode. Um, She does a um, LGBTQIA inclusive sex education curriculum um, that is part of the uh, Unitarian Universalist um, 
organized religion. Um, and so I saw this and I posted it and I asked kind of a simple question. What do you guys think about it? And when I went to go look, Allie had written a very substantial response <laughs> to well, what do you think about it? And the thing that stood out to me was her approach was like, this is not a divisive topic. We're literally talking about biological, scientific um, elements. So tell my viewers a little bit about when you saw that posted on my mm -hmm. Educator Barnes Facebook page, what kind of triggered you to make you be like, oh, I really want to share this information. And what was key for you to share with our viewers? Yeah, so um, I have a five-year-old son. Um, and I'm trying to raise him uh, to understand consent without using that word because he's five and that doesn't really like, he doesn't get it unless it's like, okay, you don't have to hug anybody that you don't want to hug. You don't have to give kisses to people you don't want to give kisses to because they have, you know, kids have kind of an internal, um, you know, radar that like if somebody's wigging them out, they we shouldn't push that on them and tell them that they should ignore their feelings. And so I've been going through that with my son as he's gotten older. We use proper terminology and I get some pushback from um, people that I know that, you know, even like his preschool, he came home one day um, saying that he like TT'd on the potty um, and, you know, using different uh, non-anatomical terms for like his penis. I'm like, okay, well, at least you know the right word because I had been seeing on Facebook um, and other social medias um, outlets uh, stories of parents who, you know, were using, you know, cute terms and their kid being harmed and reaching out to an adult and saying, hey, my um, uncle did this to me or my, um, you know, this other person in my life uh, did something, but they didn't use proper terms. And so they didn't get the help they needed because, you know, calling something a cookie, you know, you, you think it's, mm. you know what I mean? Like, you, you, oh, well, it's just a cookie. Go get another one. No big deal. When it's like, no, that kid was talking about their private parts. Mm. And if you don't use the same terminology, like you've just um, hurt that child without knowing it. Uh, so that's more um, like if we just used proper anatomical terms that everybody's familiar with, uh, we could prevent a lot of, you know, a lot of hurt moving forward. So that's why I responded. It That's kind of the brain space I was in at the time when I saw it. Why do you, because I, like when you think about people seeing cookies and things like that, mm -hmm. you think about grownups like being flirtatious with other people. Mm -hmm. And when I was reading this article, especially with Ashley, because so after I guess I should share it because I don't think I've shared this before. So after I had interviewed her, I get a message to my Educator Barnes website. And that's pretty typical. Uh, a lot of my stuff I have I'll automatically say something back to you. But it was like, you're in this groomer group with Ashley Robertson. And I'm like, what? Huh? <laughs> so because she has a public Facebook group sharing some of the things that she's teaching, they went through the list and started emailing people like threatening things that you're doing grooming. And so to me, when I'm hearing an adult or an uncle tell a kid or talking about a cookie and they're not mm -hmm. talking about a cookie versus a person who's teaching anatomically correct parts, I don't understand why some people feel um, like that is grooming. So what are your mm -hmm. thoughts about people who are insistent that this us using correct terminology mm -hmm. um, is somehow sexualizing children? 
Yeah, I think a lot of it comes from adults not being comfortable because they weren't raised to be comfortable with those terms. And then to turn around and have to teach that to their kids, like just makes them feel uncomfortable because they were taught, you know, using the word penis is inappropriate. Using the word of vagina is inappropriate. Like I remember being in middle school in choir class and kids playing the penis game because they thought that that word was so funny. And, uh, you know, just, I, I think, honestly, I just think it's comfort. Like you don't know what you don't know. And, um, you know, anytime the word sex is used, a lot of adults immediately think about the act. They don't think about sexual health, sexual wellness, um, you know, maybe preventing sexual predators, but it's all related to the act in a lot of adults' minds. Um, whereas if you're really trying to protect your kid, you're going to give them all the tools that they need rather than just ignoring it. Because ignoring it is not going to help. Ignoring it is not going to um, help your kid grow and also keep themselves safe. Um, yeah, I just, I, I really just think it's comfort. So if you're uncomfortable with the terminology because you didn't learn it, um, or you were taught that it was bad, uh, you're going to teach your kids that. And also on that point, I think some adults are not comfortable calling their personal parts mm -hmm. the correct name. So they don't even do it themselves. There's in any type of setting. So therefore, mm -hmm. now they have kids and that's what they are comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it's no different than saying the ear <laughs> has right. a part. But you mentioned um, like sexual health. So how does your anatomy class, what is like the, I guess, the differences and the similarities between your class and then what you would have, you know, with your PE and your health? Yeah. Um, how is that different or maybe the same? Yeah. So um, I actually went into the Indiana. So there's new Indiana science standards. They just came out this summer. Um, and I was looking through those. There's um, there is. Um, it is required in Indiana to teach reproductive um, systems and organs in anatomy class. There is nothing explicitly stated in Indiana health curriculum or standards. Um, it's all about, you know, preventing injury, um, safe relationships, uh, those kind of things. So it's kind of up to the individual educator, whether they want to teach and how they want to teach um, sex education. At, and I think it's mostly freshmen and sophomores who take those classes in high school. I remember um, I'm from I'm originally from Ohio and we did it in eighth grade. But there was uh, usually it was a PE teacher who maybe got an, a cert certification for health um, because in education, I mean, in Indiana, we have 25 open teaching positions. So you, you got to do what you got to do. Right. Um, so a PE teacher might get a um, extra certification. And they, so then they have not been taught how to broach the topic with kids, how to appropriately level the information. Um, I mean, they're doing their best, but if you're not taught um, how to talk about sex or how to talk about, um, you know, internal organs or any of that stuff, uh, you might avoid it, which is, I think, where we end up with mostly um, sex education taught by people that are like consultants that come in. Um, and then they get to do whatever they want to do, which I think is um, not great. <laughs> a lot of times, you know, the abstinence only type of I that's what my high or my middle school did. And um, I remember she made us like spit in cups and then we had to like pour all the cups together. And she told us um, every person you kiss, you've kissed everyone they've also kissed. And it was gross and it was a visual like representation so i i understand where she was coming from but that was also very shaming to all of us um 
and just the idea of, you know, I know some um, consultants come in and like have kids chew bubble gum and they're like, oh, if you have sex, you're this chewed up piece of bubble gum. It's like, that is like totally <laughs> the opposite of what, like we want our kids, they're already curious. They want to know stuff. So just answer their questions. And if you're not embarrassed, they're not going to be embarrassed. And if you're a, you know, 23 year old PE teacher, who's just been told, Hey, you're teaching health this year, but you have no resources. Mm. Um, so you're told, Oh, well, you have this $100 to bring in, you know, uh, uh, a sex ed consultant. Um, you, you don't have the time to really pick someone, right? Like you, you're busy. Teachers are busy people. We do our <laughs> best. <laughs> but, um, if some, if, if a school's always been bringing in the same person over and over again, but they're not continuing to vet the message that they're sending. That can that can be a problem for our students. No, you brought up many good points. I lived in Indiana my whole entire life. Mm -hmm. I went to Lawrence Township and I did the thing with the cup and the spit. We mm -hmm. did that. I remember mm -hmm. that. And then I remember um, PE was ninth and 10th grade. And mm -hmm. so I remember it was the PE teacher and then I just remember like, okay, here, here's the, the parts of the female. Here's the part of the guy, label this and turn it in. And I just remember the awkwardness of everyone like folding over their paper. Didn't want to be seen labeling anything, like sliding it up to the teacher. And it was just this whole awkward thing. And it was just like shame. There was a whole bunch of shame about it. But on the other hand, you, you get kids who are adults, they finish college and then their parents like, we want grandkids. And then it's like you, you missed the whole boat where you didn't make this seem like a joyous thing that you wanted to happen. Like this is a joyous thing. It's a thing that people do and it shouldn't be a thing that should bring people shame. So I do I do find that interest. And in Indiana, all the programming is abstinence based due to how um, the laws are set up mm -hmm. and people don't vet. And I've sat in different different classes and. You know, I like some of the classes where it's body safety. So mm -hmm. they're really focusing on keeping yourself safe, but not just your physical body. Um, one presentation I attended, it was your mental health, how that ties to your physical health. Um, and it was like really good for kids. And they didn't do like the good touch, bad touch. Um, because they even explain how there's sometimes someone may have to touch you like a doctor because they were just saying like they wanted to define all the things. And so I really appreciated the approach that was taken. But I also gone through other things where everything was just made to make you feel like you were a bad person. And I'm like, these are middle school kids. They have hormones. And essentially, you're telling them the feelings that they're feeling right now are just not cool. Shut it down. Don't do it. And this is bad. And I think anybody, um, you being a secondary person uh, yourself, we know that when we tell secondary kids not to do something, that is like pushing the big green button to say, go right. and do this. And I don't know how much you know about this, but do you think all schools have anatomy classes? Do you think they should have anatomy classes? And do you think there is a good network. So being an English teacher, there's always things I could go to, um, PD, nationally, locally, people I could reach out to. There's organizations. Do you feel that there's enough support even in the, among the anatomy teachers to teach the courses? And do you feel like every class, like do you feel like if a school had a health class, do you feel like they need a health class and an anatomy class? Uh, so that was like, like several questions. So yeah. 
<laughs> no, I get it. Well, I was um, to kind of go on a tangent, but then I'll bring it back. Um, I was talking to my mom and I asked her, I was like, in your biology class, uh, did they teach any anatomy? She's like, oh yeah, we learned about the skeleton and um, we learned about our hearts and that's not in biology anymore. Biology now is all about, um, they do like mitosis, meiosis. So they do some, mm. some cell stuff and some DNA stuff. So a little bit of genetics, but mostly what they focus on is biodiversity, ecology, and that's really important. And I think that was brought, um, brought around like those standards because we had such um, horrible environmental impacts um, at the time. And we want to make sure that we're taking care of our environment. We want to make sure our, our kids are scientifically literate so that they are making good decisions about like politicians and laws and stuff. Um, but they, the detriment is they pulled out some of those um, anatomy things so that became its own course. So now it's an elective. It is not required. The kids in my class want to, to um, they're interested in the medical field. So kind of all of the resources that I've had. So I, I had a, um, not a co-teacher, but we taught, we both taught, um, we were, we were in a PLC together and she was a great resource. She'd been teaching it uh, much longer than I had. Um, and she was really, um, her name's uh, Polly. So she, Polly was very um, adamant that like, if we can't get to everything, we need to get to the reproductive system because our health class is not adequate. I was like, I agree, let's do it. And you know, I asked my kids the first time I taught it at my current school, like, you know, what are you learning in your health class? And they're like, nothing. We didn't learn any of this. Like, it was just like, don't have sex. And that was it. I was like, well, I know that when my kids get to me 17, not all of them, but some of them are sexually active and they should know what their anatomy is uh, just so they can make better decisions. Because um, it's amazing the kids in my class after they learn, you know, all the parts of the male reproductive system all the parts of the female reproductive system. We talk about the menstruation cycle and the um, ovulation cycle. And some boys will say, why do I need to know this? Because it's 50% of the population and maybe your partner and you need to know this. Maybe you're going to get, if you are heterosexual, maybe you're going to get a girl pregnant one day uh, because you didn't know any better. And the more information they're armed with, the better decisions they make. Maybe those boys aren't um, more forceful with their partners and are more willing to wear a condom if they engage in sexual intercourse. Um, they are more likely to feel empathy for their female uh, classmates um, and less likely to make jokes about PMS mm. because, you know, we go through the hormones um, and the hormone cycle, like the 28 day cycle. And they're like, Oh, I thought it was just like a day. No, oh. <laughs> it's not a day. Uh, <laughs> Or, you know, like, oh, so we would have discussions mostly brought up by the boys, you know, they because um, I would give them a note card because this can be uncomfortable and I get it. Like they've been taught that it's shameful and I'm not teaching them, you know, how to go have sex. I'm just teaching them what what body parts are in their bodies and their classmates bodies right now. Like, what is it? How does it work? And then we move on. But I always spend a day like um, I give them a note card. And it can be anonymous or not. They can write any question that they have and I will answer it no shame, like just from a scientific perspective. Every year, the boys always ask, is pulling out enough? Or like, why is pulling out not enough? Um, it's like, well, let's think about your organs. Like you have one urethra that everything goes through, right? So like the sperm is made in the, uh, in the um, testicles, they move through the vas deferens they, and everything just goes out through the urethra. So um, pre-cum, right? 
could mix with some of that leftover sperm that didn't get ejected and then it gets ejected then even if you you know like at the beginning of the encounter and they're like oh so so pull out game is their terms pull out game doesn't work no it's not 100 percent. and you know in um media like i have you seen bridgerton i'm sure some of the listeners have seen bridgerton um i definitely uh, have some bridgerton followers so yeah. i know that <laughs> yeah so the first season i like just watched it this year the first season there's a character who doesn't want to have kids or claims he can't have kids, but all he's doing is pulling out. And I'm just like, that, that wouldn't work. <laughs> I got like so riled up. I'm like, you would have gotten her pregnant at some point in time <laughs> in your lives. It would have happened. It's, it's less likely, but it is possible. And just like, I get enraged when I see things like that in the media um, because our kids don't know any better and they can't have that internal dialogue with themselves. Like, Oh, well, that's not how it really works because I know better. And I know that, you know, eventually the um, there'd be enough uh, or there'd at least be one viable semen that would go through the process of getting to that egg and could fertilize it. Um, and so like, yeah, I'm just amazed every year at the 17 year old boys who ask me like, is, isn't, isn't that enough? No, it's not. And what I like, like, even though I didn't ask you this, you shared with uh, the listeners a question you were asked and the mm -hmm. way you explained it, like you didn't go into the sex act. You were like, yeah. it was very scientific and named all the parts and name mm -hmm. all these things. And so I think sometimes parents are resisting something they don't understand because mm -hmm. they're not in the class. And so they're making up a story of what they think is happening. And mm -hmm. I'm like, well, think about your own sex education, especially if your kids are going to school in the same state that you went to school in. There's no class I went to where the teacher's like, and this is how we go have sex. That no. never happened. No. And so I think sometimes we think these things are happening or because we're seeing things in the media. Uh, we're not using our critical thinking skills and and looking through because what may be happening in one school over here might because we don't even know how the story was fun because we don't even live there. Right. That's probably not happening here. But now we're like, oh, oh, this is happening. But based on parents, have you ever experienced any parent pushback based on some things that you have taught in your anatomy class? And if so, how did you deal with it? I actually haven't. I think at um, their age, so juniors, 17, um, now most parents are comfortable with them knowing this information. And they know, like, so we don't teach it until the spring semester. It's one of the last units that we do. Um, and that's intentional. Um because we want them to feel comfortable. We know they have, like, they feel the shame from, you know, their previous years of um, experience. And we want them to feel comfortable with us as educators, as you know, like, I'm not a medical expert, but I am, you know, your teacher, and I will do everything I can to help educate you and, and get you the answers that you need. Um, and so I haven't had, and I think because it's, it, it's on my syllabus that they get at the beginning of the year, and it just says reproductive system. Um, it, doesn't say the word sex, that it doesn't even ring any bells. And so I've not gotten a single email or phone call requesting that their kid not learn about it. And do you think we need to reframe how we're even talking about it? Because sometimes in education, as you know, mm -hmm. um, we have a thing and then we're like, oh, that's the bad thing. I was just at the um, Learning Sciences um, International um, Conference in Orlando, Florida, and um, a lady, she did, um, Sarah Ottawa, and I, if I mispronounce her name, I'm so sorry. Um, but she did a phenomenal presentation on ELLs. 
And on the screen, she put all the different names they have been called, emerging bilinguals, ESL, ENL, and how the name evolved because we're like, well, it's not necessarily ESL because this might not be their second language. It might be their third language. So we're trying to like really get down to what it should be called. And the one of the biggest bones when I've talked to everyone about sex education, all my three previous guests have said, not, we're not really talking about sex. We're talking about consent. We're talking about reproduction. We're talking about knowing your body and your anatomy. And so do you think that the word, the actual word sex, mean in the title of these courses um, is the triggering thing that's giving the misconception? And, and if so, what do you think is a better way to frame this or even call the class that we want students to take? Yeah, I do. I do think just the word sex triggers a lot of people. Um, and like even so my mother in law is a nurse and I told her I was doing this um, uh, interview podcast with you. And she was like, uh, oh, like, just hearing the word sex. Uh, she was like, oh, what? <laughs> like, it's fine. It's fine. Like, you're a medical professional. Let's step back. Let's think about this for a minute. She's like, oh, OK, OK. Um, so even somebody who, you know, is immersed in the medical field um, might feel uncomfortable about that. But, you know, she raised her son and talked about, you know, uh, sex education with him, like made sure he knew what contraception was, did, did all those things for my husband. Um, and it's like, that's what we need. Like, not everybody has you in their life mm -hmm. to do that for them. Um, and don't you think we should you know, build that into our education system since we're supposed to do everything anyway, right? We're supposed to teach manners. We're supposed to teach, you know, all this stuff. Why not this too? Um, but I do, because like my son is five. I'm not, I don't, he doesn't know what sex is. I don't think he should know what it is. He, he's a little kid. He wants to go play, but you know, he, I'm focusing mainly on body autonomy with him. So I think that's a good term. Um, safety in general like he's in a program at the um, library called crouching tigers which is like kind of karate a little bit it's more self-defense but they also talk about safe adults and um mm. just practicing you know being safe you know crossing the street that's a safety issue make sure you look both ways um if you get a bad feeling about an adult go find a different adult if you get lost in a store um first spin around in a circle look for your adult whoever you're with if you can't find that person, find somebody who works there. And, you know, so it goes through that. And I think that's all related to um, sex education. Like if you are able to um, keep yourself safe, that's the most important thing. And there's a lot of things related to that. It's, you know, um, sex education is part of it. You know, you want to keep your yourself safe from predators at that young age. And as you get older, you want to keep yourself safe from getting hit by a car or just somebody walking down the hall. That's just as a side note, that's one of my biggest pet peeves walking down the hallway with a bunch of teenagers and they don't even like register that you're walking next to them and they just like bump into you. It's like, I'm right, I'm right here, I'm right here. Like, so just, I think it's all related. Um, and, but if we didn't call it sex education, would our kids or would parents even make the connection that they are related? Hmm. That is a good point because on one hand is like, if you're taking a biology class, for instance, you're going to talk about reproduction and biology with mm -hmm. animals. And, you know, it could be uncomfortable for some kids, but most kids are like, it's animals, you know, right. or they, it's Indiana. So you could have been on a farm. You could have lived on the farm. You may have a cat or a dog. Like you mm -hmm. understand this stuff. So it's like, 
we're mammals. We're just talking about this one thing that we do as mammals to reproduce. Mm -hmm. um, so it's an aspect of it. And so but I do like how you said you hide on your syllabus when the school year started. So it's, it's there. Parents know it's coming. But thinking about parents, uh, one of the things that you hone in on was the parents not being informed. So mm -hmm. what is your do you do anything to loop your parents in on what you're teaching, how you're teaching it? or how to get them more informed as adults, because as you said, not everyone has like your mother-in-law um, mm -hmm. to like raise up the boys or the girls. Mm -hmm. um, so what is your advice, especially to other educators who are listening who may be getting pushback from parents, but they, they want the parents to not like shut them down. They want them to actually learn too. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really important for the parents to learn and, you know, um, like not be nine months pregnant before you learn that, you know, mm -hmm. I, I'm laying it all out here. I did not know that the catheter that I was going to have was the same catheter that like my husband would have. Like I, when I had my son, mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't realize where it went. Like I didn't know. Cause I had never put the two and two together until I was like in the room and they had to, like, I had to get um, an epidural because my, my labor was taking too long and they were like, you need to sleep, you need to rest, or this is going to be not fun for you. And so they had to put in the catheter because you can't feel your bladder. You can't feel when you need to pee. Nope. And um, like, I was like, that's not, that's not going to work. They're like, it's fine. It, yes, it's fine. It's like, oh, okay. And then when I looked into it later, I was like, oh yeah, why didn't I know that? Like, why, why did I think in the, in the moment that that wasn't going to work for me? Um, and I think it's just from not, spending the time to just study and it's like we're not indoctrinating children into a cult we're just teaching them um you know that the vagina and the urethra are not connected so when you urinate like when you urinate as a as a female um you that that urine is not going through the uterus right right and a lot of teenagers a lot of adult women don't know that like like i just said like i didn't it, I didn't know exactly like I was, you know, cause it's just something I ignored. Um, and that was detrimental to me. It was detrimental. Um, it's, it's not like our kids should know what their body parts are just period. Like why, why should we hide that from them? Um, and I think that when you, when you come at it from that perspective, it, it makes it easier as an adult to look into it. Like who, who cares if your search history is like, you know, parts of the vagina, like just look it up. It's fine. Um, but mainly I would focus on there. There isn't a ton of stuff. Um, that's actually a, a, there's not a ton of stuff for anatomy teachers, uh, specifically, um, for the reproductive system that isn't medical in nature. Um, so looking up, you know, on the, um, American physicians, um, physician association, like looking information up there. Um, there's a lot of really good like nursing YouTube videos that go through in a very factual scientific manner. Like these are the parts, these are how they work. Um, and I don't send those to parents. I just kind of send once a month, like, Hey, this is what we're doing this month. If you have any questions, ask me this. If you, um, if, if you feel like your student needs a little more help, here are some like helpful resources. And I never phrase it as like, you need to look at this. Um, it's just more of like, if you want to help your student, uh, maybe check out this um, .org 
or check out this, you know, medical journal or uh, this Quizlet that's going over vocabulary or, you know, this YouTube video that's, you know, telling them the different parts of the heart. That's more how I approach it. And then if the parent watches it, that's great. And they can have those discussions with their kids. If they don't, at least I know that their kid is coming to me and we're having those discussions in class about how all their systems work. Now, you're really right about the adults not understanding. My husband and I just watched Sex, Love, and Goop. It's on Netflix, and Gwyneth <laughs> Paltrow is, like, behind this show. Mm -hmm. uh, but what was interesting, uh, and then they had different couples who each had some issue, and the Goop part was, like, we're all uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. so you had young couples, heterosexual, homosexual. You had elderly couples because I even liked that they had an elderly couple because it's like, yeah, we still want to do this thing mm -hmm. and we're having issues. Um, but what was interesting, they had like these different, I don't, I can't remember. There were coaches. There were coaches mm -hmm. for sex. And I think there was mm -hmm. a different name for them, but that's what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And the lady gets out this like puppet thing, but it's like of the woman's like body parts. And she was explaining all the parts, where the vagina was, where the clitoris was, where all these things were. Mm -hmm. And both of the adults, the male and the female were just like, those are all the parts. And you would <laughs> assume you are a sexually active person. You're in a consensual um, monogamous relationship and you're struggling and one of the basic things is you don't even know the roadmap that you're exploring uh, so right. I just felt like we're not telling them what to do like this show did later on mm -hmm. but just that basic thing and then I'm watching it with my husband and I'm like I don't remember all of this stuff uh, mm -hmm. So because you don't you don't talk about it. When I had my twin boys, I had an epidural and they were explaining do. I was like, what? She going to do what? You're going to empty my bladder for me. Mm -hmm. Oh, you are. This is interesting. Yeah. Uh, and it's like real uncomfortable when you realize like, oh, and then you're like, I guess this makes sense. that this is a thing that you would do. Mm -hmm. But nobody talks about it. And people have we probably all have aunts and sisters and moms who want this whole thing. And so now we are being put in these scary, uncomfortable situations that we could have walked in with confidence, mm -hmm. knowing that this could happen because someone has talked about their own personal experience just with their body and all the things that happens with our bodies from little person all the way to older person. Right. Um, so I really appreciate how you say you provide those resources because mm -hmm. A, the parents can stay kind of in step and mm -hmm. they can explore on their own. Maybe they don't want to, because sometimes parents, they don't want to talk to us because they feel like they should know already. Mm -hmm. um, so I really, really uh, I'm, I'm like that. And then let's talk about um, other colleagues. What advice do you have for other people who are either teaching um, whatever it's called at their school, where this health, where there's anatomy, where there's sex education, what advice do you have for them if they're like scared or nervous about mm -hmm. parents or about what to include and what resources? And I know you gave me um, a playlist, which I'll be sharing mm -hmm. with you guys of resources, but what resources are like your go-to things you go to? And I know you mentioned a few that you mm -hmm. feel that if you, if you met somebody on the street and they're like, I'm, I'm about to teach anatomy next week. What would you say? <laughs> um, oh, I don't know. No I, <laughs> I would. So I would say for anatomy, um, having a really good textbook with really good, um, not graphically, 
so it doesn't need to be real photos, but really good diagrams um, mm. in it is super important because if a parent sees it that it's in this anatomy official textbook, they're more likely mm. to accept it. Whereas if you're just buying, like there's nothing wrong with buying stuff from teachers pay teachers, but if that's what you're doing, um, use it as a supplement more than a like, this is my curriculum because um, your parents are just more likely to trust the information that's in this textbook. Um, and yeah, that would be mostly it. Anything else that you wanna do, um, if you're uncomfortable, your kids can feel that. So get comf either comfortable being uncomfortable or spend a lot of time uh, either learning or relearning this information before you um, present it to the kids. Because if you're uncomfortable, they're gonna be uncomfortable. And then they're not gonna wanna ask you questions because our kids are pretty good at, you know, with the exception of a few, picking up on your emotions. And if they know you don't wanna talk about it, they're not gonna ask about it. So that would and be my advice. You just mentioned that the science standards just got updated this mm -hmm. summer and you touched on this briefly, but were there any like sharp changes in within your content area um, based on the updated standards that you're concerned about, or maybe you're glad is in there now? Um, it's not necessarily the content that has changed in science. It's the way it's presented. So it's more of like, they call it 3D learning. Um, well, the national next generation science standards call it that. I'm not sure exactly what Indiana is calling it, but we've basically adopted the national formatting um, where it's, you need to, you need, here's the content, but you also need to come at it from, you know, the scientific method perspective or the scientific process of learning, you know, how to ask questions, how to research, how to set up an experiment, observe, make conclusions, all those things. Um, so that's kind of the biggest shift in the standards right now is um, it pushing from a vocabulary, like memorization aspect to a let's do the science and be more hands-on with our students because we know that's how they learn better. So I applaud Indiana for, um, doing that now whether we have the resources to implement those changes um, across the board is another issue um, and not just like like pieces of equipment but how are we going to train our educators in this new way of thinking about their lesson plans because as science teachers we already like ch chemistry for an example is a 20 percent like i have to be in the lab with my students 20 percent of the time um, so i already spend 20% or more time in the lab, um, but making sure not that just that we're not just in the lab to be in the lab, but that that time is well spent and that when we are finished with the experiment that we're really thinking through, what did we learn? Was that useful? How did that add to our understanding of whatever we're studying? Um, and that's more of my concern is like, how are we gonna make sure all of our science teachers are on board of like, biology, anatomy, zoology, chemistry, physics with that type of uh, change more than what the actual standards include. And I appreciate how, because I feel like Indiana, we're always special. We always take yeah. something from somewhere else, but we can't <laughs> call it that thing. We may change one or two things and we, mm -hmm. it's Indiana something. So mm -hmm. uh, I appreciate you naming where it came from, just in case we have some uh, I know we have some non-local um, followers, um, just they can check that out and look if they want to look. But I mm -hmm. also feel like many standards are shifting to that mindset of is like not uh, like English teacher. 
we're not sitting here looking at words in the dictionary. That's like mm -hmm. so antiquated. That's we need application when it comes to things. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad to hear with the science standards that we're mm -hmm. moving to that. But again, like how are we preparing? Are we providing professional development? Mm -hmm. Are we providing a good anatomy textbook that mm -hmm. a teacher can use? Because if you don't have a textbook, then that's how a lot of you end up on teacher pay teacher. Because right. you're like, I don't have the time to sit here and draw <laughs> this <laughs> diagram. I'm going to have to get it um, from mm -hmm. somewhere. And then when it comes to students, what advice do you have um, from students who may have questions about um, their anatomy or just their body in general? Because I think sometimes we think when we talk about sex education that we're always talking about reproductive because mm -hmm. there's other things that make your body tick. There's the hormones, there's the acne, there's all these other things. So right. what advice do you have for kids? Um, I would say find an adult in your life that you're comfortable with and that you know won't judge you for the types of questions, whether that's a parent, mm -hmm. a grandparent, um, a teacher. Now, I know, like for me, if a student asks me a question, I am not uncomfortable answering anything. Like I have gotten over that. Um, you know, I was uncomfortable maybe answering questions for eighth graders my first and second year, but then like they this, they just need this knowledge. And if I just approach it that way, if a parent gets mad at me, so be it. Um, and I know that's not everybody's mindset. I That's just how I've had to, because I worked in a really small rural conservative school. And at some point I just had to be like, you know what? I don't, I don't care. It, this, this kid is asking me a point blank question. Like I had an eighth grader come to me um, and tell me she was pregnant, an eighth grader. And um, she's like, I don't know what to do. Um, like, my parents are going to be so disappointed in me. And I was like, okay, let's talk about, you know, where we go from here. I didn't send her to the guidance counselor. I didn't tell her, you know, because that would be telling her that this wasn't important to me, like that she was not important enough to me to have this conversation. So we sat down. It was a day that like the rest of the eighth graders were on like a field trip and she didn't go. She wasn't feeling good, you know. And so we just sat and we talked like, what are all the options? What, you know, how we talked through a script of like, how are you going to like, you can't hide it. You, right. you cannot hide it. You need to talk to, um, you know, your parents. Uh, she was living with her aunt at the time. It's like, you're living with your aunt. That is your person. You need to tell her first because you are living under her roof um, and make a plan. But here, here are some possible plans. Here are some possible avenues. Um, here are some resources. So I think having... I think every kid has at least that one teacher or that one adult in their life that they're comfortable with it that just don't be afraid. Like if that person's going to turn you away, that person turns you away and you know that that wasn't your person. Mm. You know, I, I like, I like that. I like that. Yeah. And, I and then, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, other than that, if you don't feel comfortable with finding that person or you don't want to find out that that person isn't really your person, um, TikTok has a lot of medical professionals um, that are willing to answer any questions you have. So, um, and I know that's where the kids hang out these days is TikTok. So finding <laughs> a medical professional on TikTok that you follow and they answer questions because you're not the only one who has that question. So ask them and then they'll probably make a TikTok devoted to you answering your question. That's what I would suggest for any kid that Specifically teenagers. I don't know if I want my five-year-old on TikTok asking questions, but <laughs> specifically teenagers, that's what I would suggest. Yeah. No. And then like, cause I follow different, I'm not on TikTok yet. <laughs> keep trying to get I me just, out of here. I just started and it's, it's a slippery slope of just like 
I'm just like, I'm still kind of learning the Instagram thing, but so I watched the little reels and there's different doctors I follow. So to kid viewers, cause I know there's some of you, I remember Mrs. Barnes talks about reputable sources. So if you're following a medical professional, you want to look in the bio, see mm -hmm. what they're certified in, see it where they're, um, website is see that they're actually a person because unfortunately there are some mm -hmm. there's the influencers then you have the professionals and then some of right. that crisscrosses um but just make sure you check that out but mm -hmm. i do agree because it's so it's so non-threatening because it's like oh and then and most of the time they won't even call out your name because if you send right. them a message they may be like hey can you i don't want my don't share who i am and mm -hmm. i think most medical professionals are not trying to out children but there was something else that was um pretty um powerful um that you said um is that the fact that you made a plan with the student that came to you when she was pregnant because mm -hmm. a lot of times people feel well if these teachers are going off and talking to my kid about their body they're having a relationship that i'm not part of i'm being left out and I think parents forget many times like you are their first teacher. Our job is to get them to go back to you. We're not going to keep this information. And as I've had two students in my career that have told me first that they were pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, OK. And you, the first thing you say is you can't hide it. So mm -hmm. how are we going to deal with this? Because the kid was skipping class, one of my students, um, because she was afraid she was going to lose the baby because mm -hmm. they were doing the basketball. And I said, well, you know, you have thought out part of this, but as the baby grows, you're mm -hmm. going to have to deal with this. And I and what I find out from a lot of kids is that even though um, kids find this out, even though their parents are going to be pissed, they're going to be pissed. <laughs> they love you. Right. And so even though they may be upset and maybe disappointed that they're on this path, um, they love you and there will come a point in time. But as a kid, it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's so hard to see the other side when mom, dad, auntie, grandma, whoever it is, uh, won't be upset with you. Um, so I know you have some ways that people can connect with you. So please, mm -hmm. please rag on yourself if you want, if people want to connect with you or maybe they want to ask you questions. Yeah, uh, they didn't get to tune in right now. They're like, hey, I got questions I want to answer. Mm -hmm. How can people connect with you? Yeah, sure. So um, two different ways on all social media. It's just Allie McDillon. They can search that. Send me DMs or whatever. Um, even even on TikTok. My son and I are doing science experiments together on TikTok if you want to watch that. Or you can send me messages, ask me questions. That's totally fine. Um, but So Allie McDillon on Instagram, TikTok, even Gmail, Allie.McDillon at gmail.com. Um, and then I have a little, my own Teachers Pay Teachers side hustle. So the chemistry particle Dot com is my website, so you can send me messages directly through there, or it's also the chemistry particle on all socials, um, so you can reach me that way as well. Yeah, and I I just came across your page, mm -hmm. super, super cool. I started like going through all the things because I just love, like sometimes we don't need another person to come out. We just need to connect with each other, connect mm -hmm. with other teachers, and there are teachers I feel like if there's a topic you don't want to ask your kid's teacher on, there's a teacher in your city, in your state that you can write to to say, hey, I have a question about this. Or do you have a resource? I want to learn more about it, but I don't want to approach my kid's teacher because nobody wants to be seen as they don't know. We know that with kids, they don't want to be seen if they don't know um, right. something. Uh, so uh, final thoughts. If there was like 
final thoughts you want to leave for our listeners and um, whether educators, parents, students, fellow anatomy teachers, what are your final thoughts um, for this topic that you just want um, people to really consider and take to heart? Yeah, I think um, we just need to be open um, and understand that like where we are coming from is not where this generation is coming from. Mm. Um, and that's okay. Like as you know, we grow as individuals, as we grow as a, as a people, as a nation, as a, as a, you know, world universe, whatever things change. And the way that our kids are thinking about things is different than the way we thought about them. Um, and that's okay. Uh, and if it, if you are, um, struggling with how to help someone, or if somebody comes to you and it's like, hey, I have this problem. Can you help me find an answer? If you don't know the answer right away, that's fine. You should be modeling for these kids how to seek out that information for themselves. Um, and saying to a kid, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to help you find the answer is uh, totally appropriate. No, I love that. Let's learn together. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's when my kids are asking me about like the black hole. I'm like, you your mom was an English teacher. I don't know the answer to this, but we can go learn together. So yeah. uh, I may have to circle back with you about that because I do not know. So maybe you might know, know something or get me in the right direction. Okay. Allie McDillon, you have been a wonderful guest. I really loved um, that you came from this um a scientific approach is so simple. It's so mm -hmm. smart. Like, I think we're just making this too complicated. Like we're making this way too complicated. Yeah. So I really appreciate having you on the show today. Um, to my listeners, make sure you follow her, Allie McDillon, across all social media and the chemistry particle. Please follow yeah. us in her message. She's a lovely, wonderful person. And I will see you guys on the next episode. Thanks again, Allie.